0: The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're going to wrap up our series going through the book of 1 Timothy this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I always love when we wrap up one of these verse-by-verse teachings that we do here at church because... It just gives me a sense of great accomplishment knowing that our entire church has verse by verse gone through yet another book of the Bible. We've done this with Galatians, with Colossians, with Romans, and with several others. And you can always go back and listen to those online. But man, when we get to that final one, it's just always just such a good feeling knowing, wow, we went through another book of the Bible, and not just going through it, but we actually stopped and talked about it. What it means, what the context looked like, what was happening during that day and time. And how God is still using what happened thousands of years ago to speak to us, and that it's still relevant for our everyday life because the Holy Spirit is still speaking, and God is still speaking through His Word to His people today. And we can see the heart of God, we can see the value system of God, we can see how we're supposed to uh, live our lives in a way that will glorify God and point people to Jesus. And that's written in His Word that shows us His heart and His character. So, what a great thing to go through the book of 1 Timothy. So, with that in mind, if you're a note taker, I want you to write down significant pursuit. If you want to write that down as a title uh, for the message this morning, significant pursuit. That's what we're going to talk about today. What are we pursuing in life anyways? What are we really chasing after? So many people are chasing after the wrong things, chasing after the promotion, chasing after you know, the new house, chasing after the new car, chasing after the dream vacation, chasing after retirement. But then what? Like so many trivial things it seems like that we're just chasing after and pursuing in life. And when we attain them and we actually experience them, we're glad we experience them, we're grateful we experience them, but then what? What's next? What happens after that? Uh, last year, I took my family to Disney World, and we saved up money for two years because that's how long it takes at least to go to Disney World. And if you've been, you know it's pricey. And we went to Disney World, and we had a blast. We had a great time, and we had made a lot of memories. And man, we were having so much fun. We were laughing, having so much joy. But all of the joy and all of the fun and all of the pleasure that we experienced from that vacation is no longer still driving me. It's no longer still as fresh as it was when I went. So I could either go live at Disney World, which would kind of be creepy and expensive. My name's not Mickey. They don't let me live there. Or I go and chase after the next thing that's going to bring that joy. And so many people do that. They go from thing to thing to thing to thing looking for something to bring significance. And it's all trivial because the new car smell wears off. The new clothes get old. And the physique, well never mind. Paul closes this letter to this young pastor named Timothy by teaching him the significant things that he needs to pursue, the significant things that are going to bring glory to God, the things that are going to bring true fulfillment and purpose in life and ministry. And here, Paul is teaching Timothy how to have a significant pursuit in his life. He's teaching them, listen, this is really what truly matters. So with that in mind, let's read the first 2 verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says this, "...let all who are under a yoke as a bondservant regard their own masters as worthy to all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be respectful on the ground that they are brothers." Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, let's stop right there because, in our day and time, and when this was written, the idea of slavery was still very common practice. And obviously, it shows two different types of masters and bond servants. It shows the type that are uh, more task driven, that are probably harder to work for. And then those that are Christians, those who are actually believers. And so that was a part of the culture in that day. And he's giving them instruction, kind of spilling over from chapter five. Last week, we talked about how to strengthen our witness by the way we conduct ourselves. And here you kind of see that continuation with the, um, with the masters and the bond servants. And you see See how he's communicating to them, listen, you need to still do what you do as unto the Lord and strengthen your witness even if you're in a situation that's not favorable to you. Even if you're in a situation that may not be conducive to you even having your freedom, you still need to make sure you're strengthening your witness for the cause of Christ because that's how important this thing is. And he said, listen, even if that the the the, the master is a follower of christ you're to regard that person as a brother and work for them all the more uh, and and do such a good job because that's your brother in christ now since in our day and time here in america we don't have this practice of slavery we could call this you know maybe employer employee relationship even though you're not really a slave to your job sometimes i know it feels like it but at the same time people tell me all the time oh i wish i could work in a christian environment Wish I could work for a Christian boss. Wish I could work at a Christian company. And they think, that oh, that would just be so much better. And they want their work environment to change or they want to find a work environment that's conducive to their belief because they're tired of being persecuted about their beliefs or maybe they're tired of the restrictions that are set upon them in their place of work or they're tired of working for a non-Christian boss that just swears up and down like a sailor. Whatever the case may be, people say, I wish my environment would change. Well, let me challenge you a little bit this morning. What if part of your significant pursuit is strengthening your witness and God has put you in a position to where the environment doesn't necessarily uh, seek change as much as perhaps God is calling you to change. And he's calling you to grow. And he's calling you to develop character in Christ's likeness to where you can be a light for Christ in a very dark work environment. So many people run, a- run away from things that are difficult. They want to run away from things that are hard. They want to run away from things that don't play to us being comfortable. And we say, oh, I wish I just worked for a Christian company. I wish I had a Christian boss. Well, that would be all good and fine. But what about the witness that you have for those who don't know Christ? Could it be that God has put you in such a position to where maybe you're missing the opportunity to impact eternity and influence eternity by strengthening your witness and being that light to those people, showing them the love of Christ? Showing them the truth of the gospel actively at work in your life could perhaps it be part of your opportunity that you're perhaps missing because you've been looking at it as something you want to run away from. And then on the flip side, I've seen people abuse working for a Christian employer or Christian boss. Because then they think, oh, it's easy street because they're supposed to be about forgiveness anyways, right? So if that report's late or if I don't show up on time or whatever, it's all supposed to be about grace and forgiveness, right? I mean, that guy's a Christian or my boss goes to church with me and I'm supposed to get some sort of favor. No, actually, Paul says, listen, if that's the situation where the guy that's in charge is a Christian and you're a Christian, you need to work even harder than you would have before. Wow, that puts a lot of responsibility on us then. Why? Why would we need to do that? Because... We want to strengthen our witness and not give a handle to criticism and not allow the church or the name of Christ or the message of the gospel to be diluted in any way because we have a significant pursuit. It's not a trivial pursuit where we're just trying to pad our 401k or where we're trying to just buy a different home or get more cars or take more vacations or keep up with the Joneses. No. No. Our pursuit is making an eternal impact, something that's going to resound and echo forever. And we need to recognize the way we behave, the way we work, the way we show up, the way we treat one another, the way we engage, the attitude that we have all plays a part in our witness because this is more than just a Sunday thing. Amen, somebody. You see, I believe that Colossians 3 and 23 really spells this out for us in the book of Colossians the same apostle Paul that wrote to Timothy says this whatever you do work at it with all your heart as if though you were working for the Lord and not for people listen we're doing this as unto the Lord we're not wanting to just be in a Christian environment so we can take advantage of having Christian employment and we're not wanting to just run away from secular employment that may not be a Christian environment because perhaps God wants us to be a light for Him and a witness in that environment as well. It's all about looking at this thing through an eternal lens and saying, you know what, I'm going to do this as unto the Lord and not just for the paycheck. I'm going to do this as unto the Lord, so I'm going to do it with excellence. I'm going to be a person of excellence. I'm going to be a person that shows up on time and works hard and does what I'm supposed to do and goes above and beyond, not because I want the pat on the back from people, but because I want the name of the Lord to be strengthened and I want my witness for the gospel to be strengthened because I am a representative of Christ. So be godly bosses. Be godly employees that work as if you were doing it for God. And stop asking God to just simply change your work environment. Start asking Him to help change and grow you. Amen, somebody? Because what if He wants this opportunity that you see as negative to be a character-building experience for you or for you to influence change and make an eternal impact? I believe that that is why we should pursue serving God in every circumstance. Not just when it's convenient, not when it's easy, but we should pursue serving God in every single circumstance. Let's keep on reading verse 3 of chapter 6. Verse 3 says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, then he's puffed up. And he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we cannot take anything out of the world... But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here we see that Paul really hits home the idea and the message of contentment. So he goes from saying, listen, we should continue to pursue God in every circumstance to saying, listen, we should pursue contentment as well because Christ truly is enough. And he's wanting to drive that message home because in that time, much like in the time that we live in, There are false teachers that are causing problems. There are false teachers that are trying to line their pockets. They're trying to use the message of Scripture and use their superiority, or if they can be viewed as somehow superior, as being uh, someone that's that's worthy to have their pockets lined with all of this uh, money or all these things or this position or this power. And these people were twisting words and causing problems in the church And as we look at this in context, the first thing that the Apostle Paul dealt with was people that love controversy in Scripture, people that love to cause division over words and over meanings of words, and they want to argue, and they want to cause strife, and they want to cause hurt and harm in the body of Christ. And then apparently, however these people were twisting the Scripture, was directly tied to them lining their pockets, because he, in the same thought goes straight from this idea of twisting words and arguing over meanings of words straight to them looking at ways to get financial gain because he then talks about the love of money. So apparently in their day, much like in ours, you see people who will take things and say, oh, well, that's not really the truth. This is the truth because here's what this means. And they begin to piece and and patch together their own interpretations of things and twist words and twist and argue definitions of words to exert themselves or showcase themselves to other people as being somehow spiritually superior because of their knowledge. And then all of a sudden, because of their superiority in knowledge, they think that that somehow should equate to them having their pockets lined or being wealthy, or maybe they use the twisting of Scripture to begin to line their own pockets. I know that's the type of church that I grew up in, because listen, as we look throughout Scripture, there are some things that we just straight up don't understand, all right? We understand a lot of things in Scripture. God has shown and revealed to us a lot of things, but there are things in Scripture that we don't understand. I'm not going to claim to know it all, and I know you don't know it all. We don't have all of the revelation. Matter of fact, I don't even believe that everything that there is to know about God is in the Bible. I just believe that the Bible is what God gave us to show what we need to know for this experience in life. I believe when we get to heaven and see God face to face, we're going to be like, well, I didn't even know that about God. Because how could one God and everything about him be contained in one book? I think he's bigger than that. But yet we only see in part. So we have the part that he wants us to have. And we have what he wants us to see. And so here in Scripture, we're continually learning. And there's some things that, man, it's just not black and white. There are some things in Scripture that are black and white. And those things that are black and white, man, we need to do the things we should do and don't do the things we need to stay away from. Those things are pretty well spelled out. It doesn't suggest that killing is wrong. The Bible says that, hey, don't murder matter of fact, it says don't be angry towards your brother in a murderous way because it's as if you were committing murder in your heart. The same thing with adultery and other things. Those are black and white. Those are not gray things, okay? But yet in Scripture, it doesn't say, hey, John, I think you should buy that car. It doesn't say, hey, I think you should take that job. It doesn't say things like, hey, you should watch that television show or go to that movie or go to that place with those friends. But those are the things that sometimes Christians want to harp on and they want to absolutely just attach a stigma to that cause divisions and that cause problems and that cause confusion and people begin to twist and manipulate to serve their own agenda and serve their own rhetoric and their own talking points and over and over again then they create their little camp and they create their own little group that wants to follow that certain teaching and that's what was happening here and apparently, a lot of it was attached to money, because we see that's the very next thing that's, that, that he talks about. He says, listen, he said, these guys are, are depraved uh, in mind and deprived of the truth. They imagine that godliness is a way to great gain. So whether that's position, whether that's finances, because he directly talks about finances in the next couple of verses, they think that being uh, wealthy equates to spirituality, So the more I have, the more spiritual I must be because God must like me more than you. And that's kind of the idea that they were pursuing. Or I'm really a good Christian or I really have a lot of faith because look at how blessed I am versus how how much uh, you may not have or may not be able to do quite at the level that I can. So God must really think highly of me and not very highly of you. That's the same exact type of teaching that I grew up with. And I guess the people that I grew up hearing and the pastors that I sat under didn't know about 1 Timothy chapter 6. I grew up in the type of church where there were a couple of wealthy people and the pastor was wealthy and everybody else was broke as a joke because they were trying to be good enough and give enough and do enough and it was always about enough and you could never hit the benchmark because you never knew where it was. If God wasn't doing what you thought God should do or what the pastor twisted scripture to tell you that he would do, it's because you're not enough of something. And so you need to work harder to try to be enough. And there was never the benchmark to tell you when you did it. And you would see other people who had achieved certain measures of success and you're going, I guess they're doing it. What's wrong with me? And you always felt like a failure. And there was a message of condemnation of not enough and of works and Not of true faith and trust. And because I see in scripture where the apostle Paul says, Hey, if you got food and you got clothes, you're good. That's not a popular message today. But that's what the Bible says. I don't know. You want to take popular teaching or you want to take scripture? I choose the Bible. Because doesn't it make you wonder sometimes? How can people be happy and joyful in a third world country where all they have is just one page of the Bible that was handed to them? And if they're caught with it, they'll be arrested or killed? And they can still be happy in those circumstances? How on earth could you be happy without temperature-controlled environments? How on earth could you be happy without at least 300 channels? How on earth could you be happy without the safety and comfort and security of knowing that your employer is going to match whatever you put in your retirement account? How could you be happy and secure without knowing that you immediately have access to health care? There are millions of people all over the world that don't have the resources we have, that don't have the values we have, but yet they can still find joy and happiness and contentment. How? Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Gain. If I have clothing and I have food, then I should consider myself taken care of because the one thing this world can't take away from me is Jesus Christ. They can take away all of my possessions. They can take away everything that I consider precious and valuable. But the one thing they could never take is the one thing that really matters, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus himself said, don't fear man who can kill the body but has nothing to do with the soul. Instead, if you want to fear somebody, you need to fear God because He can kill both body and soul. God is the one who really has uh, the, 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 the higher opinion in this matter. And when I look at my relationship with God and He sees me through the blood of Christ, then He sees me as a son or He sees me as a daughter. He sees me forgiven. He sees me in right standing with Him. Not because of what I've done, because of what Jesus has done. And that should cause me to rest. It should cause me to exhale and know I have everything I need if everything's taken away. There are people who have gone through all types of terrible situations here recently through the hurricanes, and they have lost everything. But those people can still find joy if their hope is not wrapped up in stuff. If their hope is wrapped up in stuff, if their hope is wrapped up in everything going their way and everybody just doing what they feel like they should do, when they should feel like they should do it, then they're going to be pretty upset but if hopes in Jesus, even in tragedy, even in things being stolen and robbed from us by natural disaster or by other people, we can still find peace, we can still find joy, we can still find contentment because it's not wrapped up in stuff, but it's wrapped up in Christ, amen? So here Paul addresses to Timothy the false teachers who are trying to line their pockets, who are trying to twist Scripture, who are trying to manipulate the Word, and they're causing division. Now listen, when it comes to stuff, that is non-heaven and hell issues, things that we call secondary issues. They're not non-heaven and hell issues, but we can argue all day about interpretations of certain things or certain definitions of words. Man, listen, I want to walk with someone as long as I can, and if we can agree that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him, we all have different traditions. I guarantee you, you and I sit down, and you and I like each other, or at least I hope we do, We can sit down, and it won't take us long to find something in Scripture that we don't perhaps see eye to eye on. But is it worth breaking relationship over? Is it worth breaking fellowship over? Just because perhaps you see something this way or that way, and it's not quite black and white in Scripture? It's one of those areas of tension, one of those areas that may be a little bit more uncomfortable to talk about, that people don't like to really go there because is it this or is it that? And perhaps the answer is absolutely. Because we don't know. We see in part. We see, through a, we see through a glass dimly, as the Apostle Paul said. We only see in part. So I only know in part. So the, the things that are non-heaven and hell issues... I don't want to sit here and get in an argument and split the church over the different elements that are supposed to be in the temple of God and, and, and the positioning of the showbread and the, and, and the positioning or the definition of, of certain terminology or whether it's, it's, a, it's something that's going to, uh, whether the return of Christ is going to happen at this time or that time or whether we're supposed to do this thing this way or that way. If I don't see it spelled out clearly in Scripture what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to cause division. I would rather preach about Jesus and point people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that's going to affect our eternity. Jesus is the one that saves our soul. Amen? And if I'm going to pursue something, I want to pursue living peaceably with my brothers and sisters in Christ, not arguing over these secondary things. If we can argue and still be friends, that's great. I have a lot of friends I argue with that we're still friends. But if it causes division and dissension and and issues, man, shouldn't we instead pursue love? Paul also here warns against the love of money, and he really drives home this give-to-get type of mentality, and I I believe this passage of Scripture just blows that entire teaching apart. And, you know, I think it really drives us back to this idea of Christ being enough. Is he truly enough? Is, Is he truly enough for us? In every circumstance. Because if I want my life to have a significant pursuit. I want to make sure that I'm pursuing the right things. And I'm not spending my precious time. This gift of time that I've been given. Just simply pursuing and chasing after and worshiping the wrong things in life. Let's keep on reading in 1 Timothy 6. Let's read the rest of the chapter here. Verse 11. He tells Timothy this. He tells him the things he should pursue. He says, but as for you, O man of God. Flee these things. Don't get caught up in these divisions. Don't get caught up in chasing after money and the love of money. He said, instead, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share thus storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of what is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith, grace be with you. You know, one of the things that Paul said he should pursue is righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, he tells them. We get lost in pursuing things, but we see that all throughout scripture, God never demonizes things, but rather, he doesn't want us to put those things above himself, because anything that we place above God is an idol. Anything we would not be willing to give up for God becomes an idol. Anything that causes God not to be our priority is an idol and I know that that's common practice in the world where people begin to chase after things and we see the majority of people the majority of humanity Pursuing stuff and worshiping idols and we think well if everyone else can chase and pursue these things And everyone else can have this and wants this and and has to keep up with the neighbors and the Joneses and all those things Well, then I guess I could do it, too It's not that big of a deal if so many people are doing it Listen to me just because it's acceptable by the majority doesn't make it okay with God That's good preaching right there Listen Just because something's acceptable by the majority doesn't mean God goes, okay, I give. Okay, I give. I'll bend on that one a little bit since everyone's doing it. Since everyone's into it. Nope. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God talks about the love of money being the root of all evil, if He he talks about uh, how we need to pursue godliness with contentment, And that's really where the great gain is, not pursuing godliness as a method to try to get things or get position or whatever the case may be. I think that we miss the point sometimes when we pursue the wrong things and we make idols out of things instead of pursuing God. Anything that we're not willing to give up for God is an idol. Anything we say, oh, I could never give this up, well, that's an idol and we worship it. And you know why you worship idols? Because uh, idols just lie to you to get you to worship them. Because they promise something they can't deliver on. Every idol promises you something that it cannot deliver the goods. And we believe the lie that the idol promises us, so we worship it. We bend over backwards for it. We'll inconvenience ourselves. We'll get into debt over it. (laughs) Because we want to worship the idol because with what it said it will bring us once we have it. And we may experience that for a brief moment, but then when the experience is gone and it's over, we're left empty, and then the idol comes and whispers in our ear yet again and says, well, you know what you really need? Another this or another that or a new this or a new that. And then we believe the lie again and we get caught up in this cycle of idol worship over and over again. Listen, only Jesus can bring true contentment. Amen? contentment godliness with contentment is great gain that's really where peace is that's really where joy is man and the last thing that i want to share with you this morning is to pursue truth i believe the apostle paul was telling timothy listen hey cling tightly to the truth hold tightly to your confession remember he said hold fast to the confession of your faith the one that you made in front of all those witnesses you know when you stood up and declared that you were following christ Hold fast to that. Never let go of that. There's going to be a lot of things try to steal that away. And I believe that there was also that temptation there for Timothy as well, where Paul was trying to say, hey, I know that there's a temptation over here for you to look at all those other people that call themselves ministers that are, you know, maybe riding around on a classier camel than what you ride around on. And it looks like they've got all the things and all the stuff, you know. It looks like they're wearing the fine clothes. It looks like they've got the popularity. It looks like they've got the this. And, and, and they got there because they looked at godliness as the vehicle to try to get them stuff. And so they twisted scripture and manipulated people to get them where they are. And I know that's a temptation for you to do the same because you're in a position of authority and influence. But don't do it. Cling tightly to the truth. Stay true to the purity of the gospel. Even Jesus held fast to his confession. He said he reminded them this is what Christ did and this is what you're supposed to do too. Hold fast to that. Because I know there's a temptation out there, but remember the love of money, it, it leads to all kinds of evil. It's, it's, it's this root that gets in our heart. Instead, stay focused on truth. Pursue the truth. Pursue significant things, things that matter, things that are going to matter in eternity. He said, but if there are wealthy people, there are rich people. He said, we're not going to demonize them for being wealthy or being affluent. Instead, we're going to communicate to them, he said, their responsibility. Communicate to them their responsibility because people who have affluence and who have resources, they have a great responsibility attached to that. And it's not just for them. But he said instead, uh, encourage them to be generous. Encourage them to be responsible with those things and making sure that they're not hoarding it up for themselves, but instead rather that they're laying up treasures in heaven. That they get it, that they, they see that their affluence, the fact that Perhaps they've been successful in their money management disciplines, or they've been successful on the job, or they've been successful in their business or their career. God has put them in a position to do great things for the kingdom of God and encourage them to be generous, to not hoard it up for themselves, and to not be haughty or prideful, thinking they're more spiritual because they have more stuff, or they have more access to more resources just because they're affluent. He said, instead, communicate to them that responsibility. He said, but you... Timothy. You cling tightly to the truth. You hold fast to the confession of your faith. You keep pursuing the truth because Christ is enough. We need to invest our time in things that matter most to lay our treasure in heaven. So I want to ask you this question this morning before we go. How can you invest in eternity? How can you have a significant pursuit? What are the things that perhaps you've been pursuing that are trivial that have been a distraction or perhaps maybe have even become an idol, that God is requiring you to give up or maybe to abstain from or to change your mindset and your heart towards? What are the things that you thought mattered that God is reorienting your heart to show you what truly matters? What's going to be different? And what are you going to do that is going to be significantly different, that's going to be a significant pursuit? When you leave this place, what is going to be the difference? What's going to be the difference in your life after you're dismissed, after I give the benediction and say Numbers 6 and 24? Are you just going to go out the door and just go on to your routine and the mundane 9 to 5 or whatever the case may be and just go get back in the cycle of life? Or is something going to change today? Is a decision going to be made today to where you make a decision to pursue the things that matter most, to seek first the kingdom of God, as Matthew 6 and 33 says, by putting God first in your life, by saying no to the idols that have been lying to you for years and beginning to pursue God, to pursue godliness, to be content, to maybe realize you've been pursuing the wrong things and to repent of that and say, no, Lord, help me to rest and be content knowing that you are enough. Help me to learn how to do that. Uh, maybe you, you, you've been uh, looking even at your job to bring you some type of joy and fulfillment, but it's falling short, and you're getting discouraged and frustrated, and God wants to use this word today to encourage you to be a representative of Christ, whether you're in a Christian workplace or not, whether you have Christian fellow co-workers or a boss or not that you still represent Christ because you're pursuing something more significant with your life. Because your life is not one where you're just wanting everything to be convenient, but rather you want your life to be filled with purpose. And that purpose is sharing the message that has impacted your life, the message of the gospel, the message you're clinging tightly to, the message you're still pursuing, that you're not going to get caught up in divisions and this and that, but instead you're going to hold tightly to that truth and pursue God. I hope that this teaching going through this book of 1 Timothy has strengthened your witness for the glory of God. I pray it has strengthened your resolve. I pray that it has stirred up a passion and a hunger within you to want to grow and to know God more and to be that person who lives their life having a significant pursuit. This is the book of 1 Timothy. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.